Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you today to rest in your arms. We want to give you the honor and the grace and the glory that only you, through this worship, deserve. Father, we praise you this morning for loving us despite our sin, despite our disobedience. We want to say thank you for the many abundant blessings that reach us each and every day from your hand. We give you thanks this morning, Father, for designing a plan, designing a plan that is perfect for us to receive an abundant life through Jesus Christ. God, will you make yourself aware to us this morning? Will you be here in our presence? We ask now that you open our hearts, that you open our minds and prepare us for that which you would have us receive and that we would be obedient in its calling and its direction. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's an exciting time to be a part of Dawson. Uh, We have started a new sermon series entitled Abundance, Blessed to be a Blessing. And we looked a little bit last week at John 10.10, which talks about the thief coming to destroy, but that Jesus came to give us abundant life. If you were here with us last Sunday, you got to see a video, very powerful moving video of a father and a son. They were eating breakfast at a restaurant, and the time came for the waitress to bring the bill. The son noticed a line on the bill and says, Daddy, what is that line right there? The father responds, that's the tip line. And he immediately sees and recognizes an opportunity for a teaching moment. And he explains to the son that that is a line that's there for us to be able to give generously because we have been first abundantly blessed. And the father writes in a larger than average tip. And the son's response is an enthusiastic, wow, as that began to process in his mind. Today we're going to watch together the next chapter on this journey with the father and son, and we're going to see beyond just a teaching moment, an actual carrying out of an act of obedience. Join with me. Each one of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others. That's a powerful statement. It's a powerful reminder as we see the father in this video take it to the next level. 
not just a teaching moment, but an opportunity to demonstrate by his own actions, obedience as he carries that out. As we continue our sermon series this morning, today's title or today's message is entitled, Obedience in Action. Obedience in Action. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5. You can go ahead and begin turning there in your Bibles. Acts chapter 5, the first 10 verses. And as you're, as you're arriving there, I just want to share with you a little bit of the journey we're going to take this morning. One of the things that I was privileged in as a, as a teenager growing up was the opportunity to play basketball. My family was living overseas, and uh, basketball was my sport of choice. And I had a coach that at the beginning of each season began with two weeks of what he called conditioning. But at the end of the day, it was fundamentals, and it was getting back to the basics of playing the sport. So as we arrived after the offseason, a little out of shape, he would give each of us a basketball, and we would begin from the very basics. We would dribble the ball with one hand from one end of the court to the other. We would switch hands and dribble back again. We would do the old-style chess pass and bounce pass, the slow-motion layup, until we got everything just right. And once the fundamentals and the basics were in place, everything else built upon that for the rest of the season. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to go back and look at obedience in action, but we're going to look at the fundamentals, the basics of why we give financially, why we give of our tithes and offerings, and how that is an example of obedience in action. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, if you'll share with me as I read. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. God calls each of us to be obedient with the abundant blessings that he has given us. Now, we see from the story immediately, Ananias and Sapphira took a completely wrong turn in this obedience. Today, what I want to do is take a little bit closer look at an example of giving generously and how we might set that example of obedience for others to follow. Now, the first thing in getting to the basics that we have to understand is we have to understand the basics of why we give. We give in obedience. This is how we do it. The Bible tells us we're to give in obedience. And it seems like a very simple phrase, giving in obedience. But it's a very powerful reminder. See, Ananias and Sapphira started with the wrong motivation. They had a selfish motivation in their hearts. And that selfish motivation caused them to hold something back that belonged to the Lord. 
And so the first thing we have to do is when we understand about giving in obedience, we have to understand what our motivation is. Now, if you're like me, motivation is a very difficult place to start. It's difficult because as human beings, we want to know the outcome. We want to know the consequence. We want to know the end result of our giving before we give. But our motivation has to be in the right place. And when we commit to give in obedience, what we're saying and what God is telling us is, is we're not going to know every part of God's plan. We're not necessarily going to understand God's plan. We're not necessarily going to even agree with God's plan. And it's very possible that we may never see the outcome of our obedient giving as part of God's plan or how he would be glorified. Maybe a way to illustrate this is about a dozen years ago when my wife and I committed to serve as youth leaders for our Hispanic youth ministry, we prayed over it and we decided to open our home 24 hours a day. It became a safe place for for students to gather. We had Bible studies there and many opportunities for them to come and just hang out. And one of the things that I realized shortly into that endeavor, shortly into that commitment, is that the refrigerator that I left the morning to go to work uh, looked full. And as I came back that evening after a long day's work and I sat down, I noticed that the refrigerator had translated to a dinner table, but the dinner table was relatively empty. There was nothing that gave me more joy than opening the door and the students are all hanging out in my house and they say, dinner's ready, which basically meant we've already eaten and if there's anything left, it's on the table for you. And if you've ever been to the Chinese buffet, right about the point that everything is empty and they haven't brought the new trays out yet, that was what my dinner table looked like as I faithfully scraped the bottom trying to fill up the plate. But the point is, the motivation in our commitment to serve was in the right place. We were in the right place of obedience. God didn't have to give me the playbook. He didn't give me all of the plan in advance and say, you know what? You're going to be surprised because your refrigerator is going to be a little more empty than it used to be. He didn't tell me in advance, you're going to get home and your dinner table is going to be surrounded by students, but you're not going to have as much as you thought you would have to eat. He didn't say, you know what? As you sit down at the end of the month, Randy, and as you begin to tally up your finances for the month, that line item that says food in your budget, he didn't tell me it was going to triple. And that's okay. What he did say is, you be obedient and I will provide. And I stand before you to tell you we didn't miss a meal and neither did many, many students during that time. So once our motivation is in the right place, now we've got to look at the other word, the obedience side. When we give in obedience, what does it really mean? And I'll tell you, it's very simple. It means that we're going to trust God. We're going to trust in his perfect plan. We're going to trust that he is a good God and that he is a generous God. And we are going to, as we just sang, we're going to trust and obey. That's what it means when we give in obedience. Now, God's word points to several things to remind us that we're on the right track, that this is the right approach, that we are first called to give in obedience. The first we looked at last week, Proverbs 3, 9 reminded us that we're to honor the Lord with our first fruits from our wealth, first fruits of the crop. That means we're to give off the top. But I want to go a step further. Deuteronomy 16, 16 reminds us of something very powerful. It says, no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Let me give you just a moment to let that sink in. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. What does that mean? It means that when we give in obedience, we're not to miss an opportunity. We're not to let an opportunity slide past. See, our giving cannot be a hit or miss model of giving. 
Maybe this Sunday, but not next Sunday. Maybe when it's convenient, but not if it's not convenient for me. That's not the model that he set. That's not the plan that he set forth when he called us to give in obedience. 1 Corinthians 16.2 reminds us that on the first day of the week, each of you, remember that phrase, we're going to come back to it, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Now, each of you should. Well, let's break that down a minute. What is each of you telling us? It means no one is excluded. No one is left out of God's plan for us to give in obedience. Young, old, rich, or poor, we're all called to be a part of his plan when it comes to giving. And then there's that other word that slips in there, that very powerful word that says should. Each one of you should. Now, I don't know how you were raised But in my family growing up, when my father said the word should, he lowered the newspaper, lowered the glasses, and said, you should do something. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a recommendation. Uh, He said it in a very commanding and declarative way. And so we got busy, whether it was you should clean your room or you should obey your mother. Each one of you should is what God is calling us to do. Now think about the inverse of that. If I should obey God and I choose not to, I'm not obeying God. So should is a very powerful command. Maybe a way to look at that, this idea of of how we give in obedience is something we do in my family. I'm not sure where I remember this from. It's from years ago. I've been saying it since my children were born. But from the time that they could walk and talk, the time they begin to cross the line of disobedience and test those boundaries with parents, and most of the parents out there will understand this, we begin, as they did that, as they, as they disobeyed, to ask them a very pointed question. So at the moment of disobedience, I would get their attention, and I would ask them, when should you obey? When do you obey, young lady? Young man, when do you obey? And the answer that we have conditioned and we still use to this day, and two of my children are sitting here close by and will affirm this, is I obey the first time every time, Daddy. The first time every time is when we should obey. And I wonder if that's the model that God has given us. If he looks down, he says, children, when you give in obedience, when should you obey? And I wonder if he's looking down expecting that result or that answer to be from us. We give the first time every time, God. Father, we give the first time every time. It's not just enough for us to know how to give, that is to give in obedience. But we need to get back to another basic that's very critical. It's one that Ananias and Sapphira overlooked. We need to remember who we're giving to. See, in the story that we read, they seemed to forget who they were bringing the money to. Now, it's true, the Bible tells us that they did keep a portion of the money for themselves. They took the rest, they brought it to the apostles' feet, they laid it down at the feet, and it was going to be used for the needs of the early church. But I wonder if, selfishly in their heart, they really forgot that the provider, the owner of their abundance, was the Lord God Almighty. And they forgot that who they were bringing that offering to was to the Lord. So our number two basic for this morning, not only are we to give in obedience, but we are to give to the Lord. See, when we obey, what we're doing is we're submitting to or we're recognizing an authority. Now, for most of us in our daily lives, that might be a teacher, that might be a boss, that might be a parent, but we're recognizing their position of authority, and for that reason, we obey. 
It doesn't change when God calls us to give in obedience to the Lord. What we're saying is, from a young age, we're taught that the Lord is the owner of it all. When we obey in obedience and giving, we're saying we're recognizing his lordship over all that he has blessed us with. And we're responding in turn with honor and with respect as we give. When we give our tithes and offerings to the Lord, we're recognizing his authority. And when we do this, what happens is, is that our giving becomes a priority, not an afterthought. Now, at the risk of stepping on some toes, and I've done it myself, uh, I'd like to point out one of the things that tends to be a pet peeve for me, but it's that time in the worship service, or it's that time in, in an opportunity where you have a chance to give, and it's almost like a bell goes off, and we all begin to kind of frantically scramble looking for the envelope, which pocket did I put it in, which purse, or, or, or where's my wallet, and we're helping the kids get the change and get it into their offering envelope, and it sort of looks like a little bit of an afterthought as we get to that point of worship and that point of obedience in giving. And I compare that or illustrate that to a vacation my family took a couple of years ago. We got prepared to go visit Disney World. And we brought the suitcases out four weeks in advance. We had everything set up. My children were picking out favorite outfits over and over again and which stuffed animals were going to go in the car. And I had mapped out all of the parks and I had the exact time of the day, early morning, that the garage door would lift and we'd back out the minivan and we would head for Orlando. Four weeks in advance. I wonder if we give more authority to the Mickey Mouses of the world than we do to our Lord and Savior when it comes to our giving. See, when we give in obedience and we give to the Lord, it will become a priority in our life and we'll be prepared to never arrive empty-handed in front of the Lord. See, when we give to the Lord in obedience, an interesting thing begins to happen. We begin to realize that his plan makes sense. His plan for our giving of the abundant blessings he has given us makes sense. As we look at the plan, we begin to realize it's a fair plan. It's an equal plan. Regardless of how much or how little you may feel you've been blessed, it is a plan that works because God is the one steering it. And he's the one taking those blessings and turning around and blessing others as he sees fit according to his plan. Malachi 3.10 tells us, bring your tithes into the storehouse and test me, the Lord says. Test me on this. See if I won't throw open the doors of heaven and bring so much blessing and so much abundancy that there won't be room to store it. Interesting. Let me translate that for you for today. Here's what the Lord is saying. Give to the Lord says the Lord, and watch what I do with what you have left. Did you catch that? Watch what I do with what you have left. We just are called to obey and bring it to the storehouse. You know, there's a lot of financial plans out there, a lot of budget tools, a lot of investment opportunities. Maybe this will hit home with a lot of our business folks here today. But when we think about it, God really only offers one plan. Live on no more than 90%, hopefully a lot less, of what you earn, and I'll be there with you, says the Lord. Or you can live on 100% or 105% or 110% of what you earn, and you've left nothing, no room for God to bless. There was a businessman named R.G. Letourneau. 
R.G. Letourneau was a rich Christian businessman. He lives, uh, lived up in North Georgia, made his wealth or his fortune, if you will, from uh, manufacturing earth-moving equipment, tractors, diggers, things of that nature. He was a very generous, generous uh, uh, contributor to the Tacoa Baptist Convention camp that's in North Georgia. Some of you might have been there. And R.G. made it a practice in his life and I'm not making a mistake here, so don't think I've slipped up. Listen carefully, of giving 90% of his earnings to the Lord. 90%. And one day someone cornered R.G., got him kind of backed into a corner with a series of questions. There was a group around, and they came up to R.G., and they said, R.G., this one man said, he said, I've got a question for you. Is it true that you give 90% of your earnings to the Lord? R.G. didn't miss a beat, didn't bat an eye, didn't pause, didn't hesitate, didn't take a deep breath. R.G. responded very quickly, no, I don't give anything to God. It all belongs to God. I just keep back 10% for me. That's an interesting way to look at it. I wonder if that might be the model that hits home for many of us this morning. See, Ananias and Sapphira had that model backwards. They had it upside down. Unlike R.G., they not only forgot how to give, to give in obedience. They not only forgot who they were giving it to, which is to the Lord, but they forgot why they were giving. We give, and this takes us to our third basic, we give for God's kingdom. That's what we're called to do. Now I want to draw your attention back to a little verse, a little word in the very first verse of what we read today. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. There's a small word It seems kind of insignificant, sort of slides right past us. But if you'll follow along with me, I'll point it out to you. It says, now a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. That little word also kind of just slips on in there. But if we compare and look at it very closely, what we're finding is Ananias and Sapphira weren't the only ones giving. They weren't the only ones making a sacrifice. They weren't the only ones giving for God's kingdom. See, God's plan for our tithes and offerings includes helping the poor, helping the needy as the early church was responsible for doing, but it's more than that. One of the things we have to understand is that God takes our gifts to further his kingdom according to the plan he designed, and that includes anything and everything that God deems important. There's a man named Anthony Rossi. Anthony Rossi lived in the 1920s, came to America as a teenager. He had the clothes on his back and nothing more. After he'd been in America a short period of time, there was a Christian couple that befriended him. And after a period of time of them loving on him, witnessing to him, he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The story goes that there was one morning, Anthony was in church on his knees in prayer, and he prayed the following prayer. He said, God, if you would give me the idea for a business, I will be faithful in giving back a portion of everything I earn to further your kingdom. The story goes that at that point, the idea came into his head of fresh, squeezed orange juice. Anthony Rossi went on to found the Tropicana Orange Juice Company, made millions over the course of his life. And unlike many of us who kind of look for just the bare bones basics of, of maybe 10% to get away with, Anthony Rossi gave 50% of every single dollar he earned, not just for a month or a year until people stopped talking about his commitment, but for the rest of his life, for the next 60 years, 
He gave 50% of his earnings to further God's kingdom till he passed away in 1993. Now, I dare say most of us here have done a pretty good job of faithfully giving to other kingdoms. I know I fall into that category. I personally have contributed quite a bit to the Apple kingdom. For some of you, it might be the Starbucks kingdom. Maybe if you're a shopper, it's the Amazon kingdom. Or if you're a family like ours, it might be the happiest place on earth where memories are made and you may have given to the magic kingdom. But God tells us, first and foremost, that the only kingdom we're to be concerned with giving right off the top is for his kingdom. That's where our tithes and offerings go. Corey Tinboom was a uh, young Jewish woman surviving the Nazi concentration camps of World War II. And she said the following, she said, I have held many things in my hands. I've had many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But those things that I have given to God, that I have given to him, to his kingdom, those things I still possess. Pretty powerful. When we give for God's kingdom, Dawson, he will use our abundance to pay for ministers, pastors, missionaries. The hungry will be fed. The homeless will be sheltered. He will take our abundant gifts and he will invest in the lives of others in missions, in evangelism, discipleship, outreach. Bible studies will grow. Life groups will swell up. Volunteers will be called to serve, and because of their service, the lost will come to know Christ. He will take our gifts and offerings, and Bibles will be bought for first graders. Children will learn to read. The Bible will be taught in public schools, and children will hear God's word. Church, churches will be planted in the least Christian state in the Union. Hospitals, language centers, schools will be built to the ends of the earth. When we give, every tribe and every nation will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Listen carefully. When we give in obedience, when we give to the Lord, when we give for His kingdom, we reach people for Jesus Christ. There is no better investment than that. So we begin to wrap up today. I want to leave you with some practical ideas, some tools that you might be able to use in your personal situation, your personal life, when it comes to setting the example of obedient giving. These are some things that we do in my life and my family that have worked, and I want to pass those along to you. The first one, an example of giving that demonstrates obedience in action, I'm going to call little bankers. You see up on the screen, you see a, a young girl counting her money, parents maybe in the background going over the budget. I want to encourage you, as, as odd as this might sound, to involve your children in the model of financial giving. Maybe this means appointing them to be your financial coach, your financial giving coach for a week or for a Sunday or for the month. In my experience, children do not forget anything. Okay. If we ask them, we say, help daddy remember to make sure we walk out with our offering and our tithes envelopes, trust me, they will wake me up at 4.30 in the morning on Sunday and remind me. Involve your children. Have them be a giving coach. Have them be participants in this. I promise you it will humble you fast at their eagerness and their excitement and their enthusiasm to please God by bringing those tithes and offerings to his house. The second one I'll, I'll refer to is the Sunday morning scramble. 
There's a question that gets asked in my home every Sunday morning. Now, I have two older daughters that live at home. I have three younger ones, so I'm almost at the Brady Bunch model. And as we get ready for Sunday, as everyone comes down the stairs, this is what it sounds like in my home. Do you have your Bible? Do you have your Bible? Do you have your Bible? Hopefully, there was five yeses as they headed for the minivan. But I've actually been convicted as I prepared for this morning, as I think about this campaign of abundance, blessed to be a blessing, that we've entered into, to add to my Sunday morning scramble another question. Do you have your offering? Do you have your tithe? Do you have your envelope? Because we don't want to get to God's house and show up before the Lord empty-handed. Do you have your Bible and do you have your offering? I don't know what it looks like for you, but maybe in your life you have a, a daily quiet time. I hope that you do every single day. Maybe you pick one of those days, adults, as your day to write your tithe check. And on that day, during your quiet time, during your devotion, that's when you take time to pray over that offering and ask God to use it to further his kingdom. Maybe you have a family night. Maybe it's a family dinner that your group or your family engages in once one night a week. And maybe as everybody gets together, you keep a stack of envelopes, and that's the time that you go over, let's get all of our offerings and let's have a special prayer because we're going to be going to God's house this week and we don't want to be empty-handed when we show up. I have a feeling that if we're abundant in our giving and we use up every single offering envelope that there is, I have a feeling we can get some more printed. I have to confess, I feel a little guilty. I look at what my children write on the outside of some of these ties and offering envelopes, and I know what it costs to print the envelope. And I see the five-cent envelope going back to church with the three pennies inside. And I wonder if we're not taking a step backwards in our progress. But I can tell you this, the value of teaching our children to be obedient in their giving to the Lord is priceless. And I feel confident we can get some more envelopes printed. The last thing I'll leave you with is this, piggy banks. Piggy banks. Now, as I mentioned, I've got five still living at home, and uh, this is not my idea. Most of the financial gurus will teach something along these lines, but I was determined to come up with the plan for, for giving, for saving, and for spending for my kids. And so enthusiastically, I went out to all the neighborhood stores, and I discovered a very, very upsetting fact. Piggy banks are expensive. Has anybody tried to buy a piggy bank recently? Uh, I was going to go broke outfitting three piggy banks per child to fill up my house. So it doesn't matter to me what you use. It might be the mason jar. It might be, we ended up with a canister that has ninja turtles on it that I think came from the Dollar Tree or something like that. It could be a Ziploc bag with a Sharpie. But you set up the model so that your children and your families put aside money to save, to give, and to spend. And we teach them that model. Grandparents, you can be involved in this. How many birthday cards have you sent that has the $10 bill or the $20 bill or the $50 bill in it to a grandchild? As a parent, I can tell you, thank you, but I don't have the change to break that bill up. So if you would take the extra effort and take that $20 bill and break it up into parts and remind them in the birthday card to remember to give and to save and to spend... That would help the parents out tremendously. College students, last time I checked, your ATM card inside of our offering envelopes does not work well. For the generation that does not know that there is a thing called cash or thinking ahead, you might have to be more intentional 
in your plan to not come before the Lord with empty hands. Let me encourage you to do that. There are so many ways that we can demonstrate obedience. In the video that we watched at the beginning of the sermon, it showed a powerful example of a father who stepped out beyond just teaching, but actually began to demonstrate in obedience what it looked like to give of those gifts to serve others by what he had received. And we found out, of course, that it wasn't even their yard. I stand before you today because others, almost four decades ago, gave faithfully of their financial resources, of their tithes and offerings, so that my family could answer a call to be international missionaries overseas. Whether it's financial resources that you're giving in obedience, or whether it is an example of obedience that you have served others through your gifts and your talents, the model of obedience is the same. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 1 Peter 4.10. I want to conclude today. I want to ask you if you would consider modeling your life, your example, as one of obedience. One of obedience that will honor our Lord in your giving the first time, every time. And I want to ask each of you and invite each of you to commit not only to just give in obedience, but to give to the Lord and to give for his kingdom. Not so you will be blessed, but so that others will be served and others will be blessed for God's glory. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you again today with humble hearts, with humble minds, And we confess this morning, Father, that it is our desire to be obedient as a family of faith with our tithes, with our offerings, and with the abundance that you have blessed us with. Will you remind us of the many blessings that you've given us every single day, God? Will you help us to commit to be that living example of obedience? Will you help us and convict us to set an example of obedience? May we be be found faithful as we give in obedience as we give to the Lord, and we as, as we give for your kingdom, Father. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.